Let's take our Bibles and we'll turn to the text that shares what we just sang, and that is Revelation chapter 5. Now, when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, often we think of it in terms of the historical fact, Jesus Christ is risen, and we're thankful for the history of the resurrection. We think about the current aspect of the resurrection, that Jesus lives to make intercession for us always before the Father. So in the present, we look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and We think about the power that it gives to transform our lives. But you know, there is a future aspect to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is coming again. And we look forward to that because the Scripture paints a beautiful picture of what it is that will come and who it is who will come. And that is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. When we look in Revelation chapter 5, It's picking up in the middle of a vision that begins in the fourth chapter of Revelation. And in the fourth chapter, the throne room of God is discussed in a vision that God had given to John, the author of this book, the same John who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. And in this vision, he shares the majesty, the worship, the glory of being before God Almighty as he sits on his throne And as angels worship Him, and as 24 elders worship Him. Now many understand the 24 elders to be from the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It's a representation of all who have been affected by the program, the plan of God's salvation. But here is this throne room, and We aren't, in our context, familiar with what a throne room is, but in the first century, everyone would have understood what that meant. It's a place of authority. It is a place of honoring the king. It is a place where official decisions are are handed down. And here is this throne room of God. And it's described with such beauty in that fourth chapter. I would encourage you, after the service, go home and read that fourth chapter. And it crescendos with all of these beings, the angels, the elders, the living creatures, all of them giving praise to God as the Creator and the One who is seated on the throne. But then we come to the fifth chapter. And in the fifth chapter, something new is introduced. We find the risen Christ introduced to us in this fifth chapter. And It begins by a discussion where there is a scroll in the hand of God who is seated on His throne. And this scroll has seven seals. Now, for us, we don't think in terms of a seal being much more than something you break to get at something, and it's kind of an inconvenience rather than meaning anything to us. But in the first century, they would take a scroll and they would take wax or clay or something and place it on the corner of the scroll, on the edge, the paper edge, that folded over onto the other part of the scroll. And they would take a seal and they would melt wax or put something other material where an imprint could be made. And often a ring was used to make that imprint. 
And the idea was anybody could come up and break the seal physically, but you'd better have the authority behind you to break it in order to really be able to pull it off. And that's what we find here in this heavenly scene, this scroll, and they're wondering who has the authority to open these seals. So let's pick it up at the first verse of this fifth chapter. And what we find is this question, who is worthy to carry out God's plan? Really, when we look at the scroll, the scroll is the outpouring of God's purpose, God's plan for His judgment on those who have not followed Him, on those who have perpetrated evil in this world. It's really the reckoning that God will bring on those who refuse to embrace the truth of who Jesus is, of who God is, and turning to Him, bringing themselves under His authority. So here is the scroll. It's in the hand of God. And look at what it says in this text. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So here is this scroll. God is holding it in His hand on the throne. And bear in mind, this is a vision. So some of the language in this vision will sound different to us. It will sound unusual to us. But it's communicating very literal truths. You see, God's purpose, God's plan contained on that scroll is about to be opened and unleashed and unsealed. As a matter of fact, the bulk of the book of Revelation deals with those seals being opened. Chapters 6 through 19, where often when we think of Revelation, that's where we go to the judgments that God will bring upon the earth because of the sin of man over the centuries, over the time of human history. God will unleash His judgment finally that He has been storing up and holding back. But the seals that will be opened have authority behind them because they are executing the plan and the purpose of God. So who can do it? Who can open this seal? It's a dramatic scene as we look at it because after the angel proclaims this, look at verse 3, and it says, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look at it. Not just the idea that, that they can't go up and touch it, but the idea that they can't even look at it because they know that they don't have the authority to touch it. Someone unique, someone special, and only that person has the ability to go and touch and open up the scroll. Then in the fourth verse, look at John's response. John's response was to weep. It says, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look at it. You see, John, in this vision, had seen Almighty God. He knew of the importance of this scroll. And he knew that it was supposed to be opened. But he wondered, how can it be? How can it ever be opened? How is this going to come to pass? And so he weeps. And the way this is framed in the original language, he weeps again and again and again. He is sobbing because he knows that this is supposed to happen. This is the purpose and the plan of God. And yet, here it is, sealed up, not to be opened. But then, 
We come to the fifth verse. And the hero of our story comes on. The one who won the victory. The Lion of Judah. The Root of David. Look at what it says in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered. There is one who is worthy. We know him as Jesus Christ. He is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. The power, the majesty of the lion depicts for us a picture of one who has power and authority and reigns and rules. And he was a descendant of the lion of Judah, the line through whom the kings of Israel had all come. And more than that, he is a descendant of David. But most of all, he has conquered. Now, I believe that that reference to his having conquered is a reference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes the following. He is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not based on our works, but on His own purpose and grace granted to us in Christ Jesus before time began. But now, made visible through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Look at this. He has broken the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is our Christ. This is our Lord. This is the Lion of Judah. This is the root of David. This is the one who has conquered. He can open the scroll. This is a time of relief, a time of excitement, a time of thanksgiving in the heart of John because he sees this dilemma solved by the presence of Jesus Christ. But the text goes on. And as we go on in the text, we find that Jesus is worshipped by the angels and the elders. Look at the sixth verse. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. You know, John often refers to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here... The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is first emphasized. He is alive, but He is the Lamb who had been slain. And I want you to notice in this sixth verse, He is standing before God. In the fourth chapter, there are all of the elders and angels and living creatures bowing before God, worshiping Him. And here is the Lamb standing, not bowing because He is God Himself, Jesus Christ. And He is approaching the throne. Look at how the text goes on to describe this. It says, The Lamb was standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And He went and He took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. In other words, he had the authority to go and take this scroll and to unleash what is in the scroll. 
by breaking the seals. Now, what does the Scripture mean when it says that this lamb had seven horns and seven eyes? Sometimes when we look in prophetic language, we get a little freaked out. It sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Almost grotesque, a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Understand, this is prophetic language. So, literally, we are not to believe that Jesus looks like a lamb that has been slain with seven horns and seven eyes. It's communicating important truths about Jesus. Many believe that the horn represents power, seven, the number of completeness, seven days of creation, and they were completed. So throughout Scripture, that number seven often indicates the idea of completeness, and the horns in the society of Israel, because rams were often powerful and the size of their horns would indicate their dominance in the flock, he's using language that people in that day in a pastoral society, would have understood. And so he's talking about these horns, and he's speaking of them as horns of power. So he's talking about the complete power of this lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. The theologians use the term omnipotence, all-powerful, and this is the lamb of God. What about the seven eyes? Again, the idea of completeness. And eyes carry with it the idea of knowing and understanding. So, omniscience, all-knowing. This lamb is God. That's the idea. And it's further understood that this lamb is God because he walks to the throne and does what no creation can do. He takes from God the scroll, having the authority to open it. It's a beautiful picture of the power of Jesus Christ, and it shares with us His worthiness to go and do this. But what's beautiful in this text is what it goes on to say. It goes on to say that He went and He took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. And when He had taken the scroll, now look at this, verse 8, The four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You know what they did to the Lamb? They worshipped Him because the Lamb is God in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no doubt about who He is as we look at this text. He is worthy of our praise because He is the Lamb of God who was slain and raised again. And we're going to do something a little unusual right now in the midst of this sermon. We're going to sing praise to God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. It's a picture of what they're singing in this scene in heaven. And we're going to rehearse for when we stand before God and we worship and we praise Him together. Let's... You know what, let's stand and sing. Now, we don't know if that's what the song will sound like in heaven. But we do have the words, and they're right here as we start the next part of this passage. We know that Jesus Christ is worthy to open the seals of the scroll. And why is He worthy? First of all, it's because of His work on the cross. Look at the ninth verse, and it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy 
are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Look at the beauty of this text. He's able to open this scroll that is the unfolding purpose and plan of God. And He's able to do this because He was slain. Jesus Christ went to the cross and He shed His blood on the cross. But it was more than just a man who died on the cross and shed His blood. He did it to ransom people for God. You know what it means to ransom someone? means to buy them out. We are sold into slavery to sin. We stand condemned before a holy God. But here is the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God who went to the cross to die on the cross for our sin that we might have a relationship with the Father, that we might be ransomed from our sin. This is the resurrected Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at this. He delivers people from every tribe and language and people and nation. The heart of God in our salvation is that the way of salvation, coming into a relationship with Him through the blood of Jesus Christ is available to everyone. In fact, Paul wrote this, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. So the idea is this. Christ offers the way to God, to everyone, every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. Everyone has opportunity to come into right relationship with God. But it only benefits those who believe. The offer is there for everyone, but the outcome is only for those who believe, who receive by faith what God so freely offers. So here, the Word of God is praising God for that provision that He made. And look at what He does again at the 10th verse. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. In other words, open access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the high priest. Jesus is described as all of this in Scripture. And when we receive the ransom that was provided for us, we can enjoy forever being a part of the kingdom of God. And we even become a priest. Look at what the Scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Speaking to those who have received Christ as their Savior, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that a beautiful text? Because of the risen Christ, because of the Lamb who was slain, because of the blood of Christ that bought 
us out from sin and delivered us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God, we become His people. On Resurrection Sunday, what could be more appropriate than focusing on what Christ delivers us to? The last part of this passage. We find, again, this scene of worship. And we see what is ascribed to Christ in worship. And it gives clear, clear understanding that He is God, worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. Verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. By the way, the way this is framed in the original language, countless numbers. You can't even begin to count. And they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is our Jesus. The Lamb who was slain, now risen. The one who is worthy to open the seals to continue the purpose and the plan and the program of God. He is worthy and He is the only one worthy because He is God. The Apostle Paul tells us this in the book of Philippians. Being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our risen Christ, our risen Lord. Then look at verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures, who are angels, by the way, said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. If you can just use your imagination to picture this scene of worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ for who He is, it's so important for us to do that, I think, at this time at Easter. We need to remember that, yes, He resurrected almost 2,000 years ago. Yes, the risen Christ is before God as my advocate, as my high priest, as the one who speaks on my behalf before the Father right here and right now. But this same Jesus is coming again. And just before His return... He will open the seals of the scroll of God. And many things will happen to those who have not found a relationship with God. And if you want to see those things, read Revelation chapters 6 through 19. But you know, the beauty of this promise is this. There is deliverance from this. The Lamb of God. He has bought us out. He has made us a kingdom of priests, of His people, all by the power and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, by His blood.
This scripture tells us that at some point, every knee will bow. And you know, as I reflect on what the scripture says here and in Revelation chapter 5, it's very clear in scripture that eventually everyone will recognize Christ for who he is. Recognizing him now for who he is as Savior and Lord will bring you into a relationship with the Father when you by faith trust that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, that that brings forgiveness and the opportunity for a relationship with the Father. When that happens, you can experience that full forgiveness in that relationship with Him right here, right now. Not on the basis of things that you've done, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain, did. Buying us out from sin and condemnation. But if we refuse and we choose not to, we will still one day recognize Christ for who He is. But we will not find Him as Savior. We will face Him as judge. And that's what Scripture tells us. To me, the reasonable response is to respond to Christ and find Him as Savior and never have to face Him as judge. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank You for this text. Thank You for this scene in heaven that reminds us that You have made a way for us to come into Your grace, to come into Your kingdom, to be the people of God. Lord, my prayer this morning is that everyone in this room will find Jesus as Savior, that they might not face Him as judge. Bless this Easter day for each one who has come. Let us give praise and adoration and worship to You because of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.